0: Well, it is indeed a privilege uh, to be back here. Um, I appreciate all the prayers um, that you guys make regularly for me. It does make a difference. Things are going very well at um, the Potter's House this fall. It's hard to believe that we are already uh, over a month into the school year. Um, We're about to go into our... uh, first um, testing day for the SAT this week, so that will be busy and uh, challenging day on Wednesday, so if you could pray for myself and my colleagues as we work through that, we'd appreciate it. Um, uh, I just want to give you a little bit of an update. First of all, um, uh, this past Friday, I posted my 261st podcast, and uh, thats I'm just very excited that things are still going well. I'm in a place of transition with that right now. Um, my longtime co-host and executive producer, Adam McNutt, has chosen to step down. Uh, it's not anything to do with our relationship. We're still very good friends, but he has other things that he wants to be able to pursue, and so I am transitioning to a new um, executive producer um, by the name of Chad, who will be helping me from here on out, and then uh, also looking for people to co-host the show with me. Um, I'd eventually like to have a permanent co-host, but I'm willing to have um, different people in at different times um, to make a two or three show commitment to uh, record with me um, until uh, such time as I find that person. Uh, but just pray for the transition of that that will go smoothly I believe God is keeping this door open and I'm very grateful for it but as with everything change is hard and uncertain so uh, just pray for me in regards to that and just continue to pray um, for my job and for my my personal uh, prayer requests you know my my vehicle is back on the road, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, i still continuing to pray for more opportunities to speak. Um, this next Saturday, I'll be doing a men's prayer breakfast at a church in Grand Rapids. So I'm excited about that because um, uh, teaching men to be biblical men is one of the heartbeats of my ministry. And so I'm excited to be able to share from the Word of God, what it means to be a man. And I know that um, I fall short many times, but I know that God is able, by His grace, um, to give me the grace to do that. And so I look forward to that. And I also just continue to uh, ask for your prayers as I seek the Lord for for a help meet. I had another disappointment over the last couple weeks with someone that I... Really wanted to pursue, and she didn't have the same feelings. So I'm just um, continuing to struggle a little bit with that because it seems like I go through the same, a different chapter of the same book over and over again. Um, But I know that God will sustain me, um, and I still truly believe that God has not made me to be alone. And so I just ask that you would continue to pray that God would bring the right person at the right time. Alright, well I know that I've had quite a bit of announcements to begin, so now we will uh, dig into our passage for this morning, and we are making good progress through the book of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 22, starting this morning, and so that means we have three more chapters to go. Now, they are long chapters, so it could still be April or May before we uh, finish this book of Luke. But um, I'm excited um, to be standing in the home stretch, not because I'm ready to be done, but just because I think we've learned a lot, and I think we will continue to do so. And then, of course, Lord willing, I am planning to bring the study into Acts as we finish Luke. So, because Dr. Luke is uh, one of my favorite writers for the simple fact that he's very detailed. Um, As Dennis was reading from Luke chapter 1, I was trying to think back through the months from when I had started that, about how his goal in writing both of these books, Luke and Acts, was to give Theophilus a detailed recording of everything that had been done and seen about Jesus. Um, And it's interesting the level of detail that Luke goes to, because he didn't walk along with Jesus through any of the ministry that Jesus did, and yet he still, in many ways, has a more detailed account than any of the other uh, gospel writers. But each gospel writer had their own goal, so I'm in no way detracting or disparaging their work, because um, John's work was very specific. He said... These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life, um, um, and that you will, will know that Jesus is indeed God. Because even back then, there are people who, claiming to be religious, said that Jesus was just a good teacher. And John said, no, nope, that's not the case. He starts out his book by saying, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And he ends it by saying, um, that if we believe in Him, we'll have life through His name. And uh, before I rabbit trail too far, let's uh, get into Luke chapter 22. And uh, we'll be reading um, the first 30 verses, Lord Ryan, this morning. But we're going to start out with the first 13 verses. And I titled... Um, Today's message, Jesus prepares his disciples for his departure. Now, we know through studying the scriptures that Jesus had done this many times throughout the three years. We know that at least three different times he said, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise again the third day. He may have even said it more often, but we have three recordings. And uh, still... The disciples didn't fully get it. But let's read from Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Now the feast of the Roman bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes saw how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas' Judas surname, Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray, unto, betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare for us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall be a man that will meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house in which he enters in, and you shall say unto the good men of the house, The Master saith unto thee, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. There, make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready for the Passover. Now, there's some interesting things here that I want to bring out. And first of all, would be that um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Is upon them, so they go. Um, so Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem, and I don't remember which other um, gospel it's record. This is this particular thing is recorded in, but it, but we read in the scriptures that that his disciples tried to discourage him from going to Jerusalem because they said, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. And Thomas the apostle. For all, for all the grief that he gets for being the doubter, which, by the way, I think any one of the other ten would have been doubters themselves if they had not been present. But he said at one point, let's go up to Jerusalem with him, that we may die with him. That was Thomas's mindset. And so, even though he's characterized often as a doubter, I really appreciate Thomas. Because there's something about Thomas and the other disciples that, that validates this book. And that is, there's honest portrayals of them. They're not portrayed as saints. They're not portrayed as perfect individuals. They're portrayed as individuals with flaws who, through surrender to Jesus, became great men of the faith. And tradition tells us that Thomas went to Africa, I believe, and died a martyr's death for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, anyway, to set the stage, we see that the chief priests and the scribes saw how they might kill him, for they feared the people. I find this very interesting, that this is the phrase, because remember what they said after Jesus raised Lazarus from the the dead. They didn't say, oh no, this false teacher is getting away with murder. No, they said, that this teacher, Jesus, is taking the hearts of the people from us. (laughs) From us as the nation's leaders, he's taking the hearts of the people from us. They care more about their popularity than who Jesus was. And I think it's interesting, it doesn't say but they feared the people, it says for they feared the people. They feared what the people would do if they didn't get Jesus out of the way. They feared that they would totally lose the people, instead of being the vehicle by which they were were supposed to lead the people to God. They were supposed to be the ones that were saying, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That should have been their cry. And instead it was, let's get rid of them. Then we have a scary verse. In verse 3 it says, Then entered Satan into... Judas, surname name, Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. When Judas is first chosen as a disciple, it's noted in the footnote that he would be a betrayer. And there was this uh, story that I saw, or this, this article that I saw, and I meant to pull it for today's sermon, and I f- totally forgot. But it basically went through the, cred- the earthly credentials of all the disciples. And it said, pretty much by that culture standards, the only one that the people would have considered worthy to be a disciple was Judas. Because he had an upbringing, he had culture, he had everything that the world would say, would, would be good. I mean, he still didn't have as much culture as some people, but as far as the disciples, he probably had the, the wealthiest upbringing, and, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll bring that next time just to backtrack and share it with you because I thought it was very striking that the one that the world might have said was the most qualified to be a disciple missed the boat. And isn't that the case with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, too? They constantly were missing the boat. And you wonder, how could Satan have entered into Judas? Well, if you remember, there was a time shortly before this that Mary poured a, uh, a box of expensive ointment on Jesus, on his feet, or over his head, I forget which. But she poured it out. And the fragrance filled the whole house. And it's, it said that it was like a year's wages to get this great perfume. And it says that the disciples grumbled. Why couldn't this be used for the poor? But then there's another passage that says that it was Judas who was at least grumbling the loudest because he was a greedy person. And so he had already opened his heart to say by the way that he was living and the way that he thought of things. And to me, I think that he was waiting for Jesus to overtake Rome in a physical way. When he realized that Jesus wasn't going to do that, he figured that he might as well make some money on the deal and get in good with the religious leaders. And so he went goes his way and he Conspires with them how to betray him i don't know if any of you have ever felt betrayal I, I don't know that I have ever felt ultimate betrayal from anyone, but it can't be a fun feeling and I've definitely felt um, rejected by people definitely felt less um loved by certain people than I thought I would. But that has to feel horrible. And it says, they were glad and covenanted to give him money and he promised and sought opportunity to betray him. Can you imagine Judas has this meeting and then he comes back and his sole focus after this meeting is how am I going to betray I'm asked. And then, as we go down, we see Jesus giving very specific instructions about the, pa- the Passover preparations. You notice in, in, in Mark, which is largely, they say, Peter's testimony to John Mark, and in, and in John, which is written by the Apostle John, we never hear the names of the disciples that go into the city to prepare this. But in Luke, Luke gives us the detail and says, this is Peter and John. Because Peter and John, no doubt realizing their own failings, were humble enough not to put their names to this record. But Luke sets the record straight. And he says, Theophilus, these men were the ones that God called to do this task. And then, he tells them, one of the biggest things he tells them about preparing is, he says, you're going to see an anomaly. You're going to see a man carrying a pitcher of water. That didn't happen in this culture. Women carried the water. And so, when Jesus says you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher of water, follow him, it's very obvious, because the man with the water is the one they need to follow And then he says, "He um, ask him where the guest chamber is and he'll show you a large upper room furnished. You know, God has everything taken care of and that's what I'm trying to rest in with some of my unanswered prayers as of yet. You know, I waited five years from the time I started looking for a job again before I got my job at the potter's house. And when I think of all the jobs that I thought I wanted that told me no and I think about the fact that if I had accepted any one of those jobs I wouldn't be working where I am now. I'm humbled by the fact that God did not let me take a job until he had me where he wanted me to be. Because I love my work. I love those kids. And I love the opportunity to share Jesus with them. And they went and found as he had said. Does God ever a lie? Everything he says is yes and amen. When God says something, it either has happened or will happen. And because we have the testimony of what has happened, we can believe what will happen. Let me say that again. Because we have the testimony of what has happened, we can believe what will happen. Such a blessing. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve disciples with him. So we see in this first point, Jesus had to go to Jerusalem. It's kind of like when it says he must needs go to Samaria. Most people would go around Samaria, most people would avoid Jerusalem. They would say, Jesus, just celebrate the Passover outside of Jerusalem. You don't have to go there. But he knew he had to go there. The Bible says he set his face as a flint we look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, if somebody could read that by way of cross-reference for us. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. This is talking about Jesus coming and the task for which he came. So whoever gets there first, if you could read it for us. But when the fullness of the time had come... God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we may receive the adoption as sons. Okay, so why did Jesus have to come? One thing I've contemplated, especially the last few Christmases, is that the cradle led to the cross. That little baby with those little fingers and those little toes, came to die. Simeon as much as told Mary that. He said, he will be part of the rise and the fall of Israel, and he will give himself for many, and you, a sword, will pierce your own soul also. And that's about to happen in this narrative. This man who had done so many good things was about to die. At the hands of one of his own disciples and the religious leaders who should have recognized him for who he was. But he did it for us. He's going on this journey to Jerusalem for us. This isn't about the gospel, but I thought it was a good comparison. This is a story about Abraham Lincoln as he's getting ready to sign the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. And this is what he says. As Abraham Lincoln prepared to sign the Emancipation Proclamation, he took his pen, moved it to the signature line, paused for a moment, and dropped the pen. When asked why, the president replied, If my name goes into history, it will be for this act. And if my hand trembles when I sign it, there will be some who will say he hesitated. Lincoln then turned to the table, took up the pen, and boldly signed his name. And basically, at that point, signed his death warrant as well. John Wilkes Booth Loved slavery. And he wanted it to last in the South. And so he's like, if that guy is going to free the slaves, I'm going to kill him. And that's what he did. On April 14th, 1865, he shot Lincoln in Ford's Theater. And Lincoln died the following morning. Interestingly enough, I've read that Lincoln had just a few days before that trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and was preparing to go forward and make public declaration of that the following Sunday. But was shot on Friday night and was unable to do so. What a great testimony of, for such a time as this, many wonder why such a great man would be president for only the four years of the Civil War, and then be gone. But God raises up leaders, and he puts them down, and he had a purpose for it. And my my main point in bringing this up is that Jesus... Just as Abraham Lincoln did when he signed the Emancipation Proclamation, Jesus set his face as a flint so that he could sign our Emancipation Proclamation, so that he could say for, "For to you and I, you are free from the law of sin and death.
1: Death has been swallowed up in victory.
0: He didn't waver. Yes, he asked God to remove the cup from him, as you will read. But he said this, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Alright, our second point. Jesus leaves the disciples a remembrance. Luke 22, 14-23. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve of his disciples with him. And he said unto them, Who With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourself. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you this dew in remembrance of me. Likewise he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new testament of my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And so, he institutes the Lord's Supper. I'm so thankful that every week we get to come aside from the world and experience the Lord's Supper and experience that remembrance. For Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me until I come. For he is coming. And the disciples were distressed and they said, who is going to do this great, this horrible thing, if we can look at Revelation nineteen nine, Revelation nineteen nine, by way of cross reference. If you get to it, please read it for us. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. So Jesus is saying here, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it in my Father's kingdom. So someday, when we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, He will drink of the fruit of the vine again. And He will do it with us, having completed the full work for which He has been called. Because the same God that died for us and rose again the third day is the one who says, I am preparing a mansion for you. And when it's completed, I'll come and get you that where I am, you may be also. See, it goes back to what I said earlier, that the things that he has done show us that we can improve the things that he will do. And I'm so thankful for the Lord's Supper because as the children of Israel, so are we a forgetful people. How many times in the Old Testament did he say, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Why did he say that? Because they kept forgetting. It says in the first chapter of Judges, there arose a generation that knew not God nor His mighty works. How did that happen? Because the generation before them dropped the ball. Now, I'm not responsible for the generations, whether the generations that follow me drop the ball, but I am responsible not to drop the ball for my generation. I am responsible to make sure as many people as possible don't forget God or His wonderful works to the children of men. That's why I do what I do. That's why I preach the gospel. Because it's the greatest news ever. And I don't want anyone to forget. Sometimes we as Christians need to stop along life's road and look back. Although it might have been winding and steep, we can see how God directed us by his faithfulness. Here's how Effie March described what the Christian can see when he looks back. The deliverance the Lord has wrought Deuteronomy five fifteen. The way he has led, Deuteronomy eight two. The blessings he has bestowed, Deuteronomy thirty two, seven to twelve, the victories he has won, Deuteronomy eleven two to seven, the encouragements he has given, Joshua twenty three fourteen. When we face difficulties we sometimes forget God's past faithfulness. We see only detours and the dangerous path, but look back and you will also see the joy of victory the challenge of the climb, the presence of your traveling companion who has promised never to leave you or forsake you. What a blessing. And now, Jesus, in this time where he is no doubt already agonizing about what is to come, he must take some time to teach the disciples what it means to be great. Um. so Luke Luke 22, 24 to 30 and I find it interesting that one second they're lamenting who's going to betray Jesus and the next they're asking who's going to be the greatest and it says and there was also a strife among them which should be the which of them should be accounted the greatest? And he said unto them, the, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called the benefactors. But you shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be the younger, and he that is chief is he that doth serve. For whether it is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth is, not, is it not he that sitteth at meat? but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Remember, Jesus said, to John and James, I can't give you the seats on the right and left side of me. Those aren't mine to get. But he does guarantee the disciples that they will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I don't know what that looks like. But I know that it will be right. I know that it will be just. And I know that it will be amazing. Because the things that God does for us are that. And I just find it interesting that in this great strife that the disciples were going through, their main concern became who will be the greatest? How easy it is for us to be distracted from what's truly important. Jesus is about to pay the ultimate price. And all they care about is who's going to be the greatest. See, I don't need to be the greatest because my place in glory is already reserved. I just need to be the best me that I can be and do whatever God calls me to do. During World War II, England needed to increase its production of coal. Winston Churchill called together labor leaders to enlist their support. At the end of his presentation, he asked them to picture in their minds a parade which he knew would be held in Piccadilly Circus after the war. First, he said, would come the sailors who had kept the vital sea lanes open. Then would come the soldiers who had come home from Dunkirk and then gone on to defeat Rommel in Africa. Then would come the pilots who had driven the Luftwaffe from the sky. Last of all, he said, would come a long line of sweat stained, soot soaked men in miners' caps. Someone would cry from the crowd, And where were you during the critical days of our struggle? And from 10,000 throats would come the answer, We were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. Not all jobs in the church are prominent and glamorous, but it is often the people with their faces to the coal who help the church most accomplish its mission. What a great reminder. It's no sin, no crime, and no shame to work behind the scenes. I appreciate each and every one of you because you enable me to do the job that God has called me to do. Most people that I go and speak to or talk to at the school won't know your names, but I know them. And God knows them. And I know that God placed you in my life and that He's done Great things through you for me. So I want to thank you. And to say that I still need your support. I'm not going to read the passage because it's pretty long, but on your own time I would encourage you as we talk about Jesus being one that comes to serve, that you would look at John chapter 13 this week. And you would see there not this grandiose Savior who is raised up above everyone. You would see instead a humble teacher who is washing the feet of his disciples. And he says, just as I have washed your feet, so are you to wash one another's feet. And it's not the foot washing That's important. It's the servant's attitude. I would encourage you to have a servant's attitude that you would seek to serve God with your whole heart. I'm going to see if I can find this song. That I really think will sum up today. Okay. I'm going to give this a try. The disciples were assembled in the upper room. They didn't know that Jesus would be leaving very soon. They talked about his kingdom as they readied for the feast. Who would be the greatest and who would be the least? One said, if there's a greatest, I hope I'm the one. Others talked of miracles that they had seen or done. No one noticed Jesus as he rose up from his seat, until he knelt before them and began to wash their feet.
1: I've come to serve you. I've come to serve you.
0: I wish I could have been there to see the look on each man's face. A single act of service puts us all back in our
1: place. But though we're called to minister and do miracles in His name, remember when we're sent by Him, the reason.
0: that he who would find his life or he who would lose his life for your sake and the Gospels will find it. And we know that sometimes we may be called to make the ultimate sacrifice for either you or by extension friends or family. You've said greater love has no man than this than that he laid down his life for one's friends. And yet we have daily opportunities to die to ourselves, to esteem others better than ourselves, and to make the world a better place in the process. We just pray that we would not lose heart, that we would not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Yes, for your encouragement and your blessing, I ask that you go with us, on life's journey this week and take us safely to our next destination. In Jesus' precious name, the risen Savior, amen.